0: Hey guys, welcome to the latest episode of the 4040 Vision Podcast, the ultimate sports history pod where hindsight is forty forty. Before we get into today's episode, let's pay some bills and hear from our presenting sponsors. What's up everybody, welcome to the 4040 Vision Podcast. I am your host, Colette Abdallah, and today's topic is the impact of Super Bowl 57 on a number of legacies of the big time players and coaches that participated in this game. I don't think I need to do a, a long recap of the game, you know what happened. This is we're about a week out from the game, the Chiefs, of course, won an overtime score of 25-22 with an overtime touchdown from Patrick Mahomes to Nicole Hartman. Today's topic is not going to be about the game specifically, but about, again, as I said, the impact that this game had or will have on the legacy of all the big time players and coaches. So we'll start off with the victors and the biggest victor from this game was, of course, Patrick Mahomes. I think before the game, people were already talking about him as the next GOAT, right? He was uh, the only guy, the only active player that had a chance to get close to Tom Brady's legacy, right? With his seven Super Bowls, his 10 Super Bowl appearances, of all the guys that were in the league, it was clear that Mahomes was obviously the, the number one choice to even come close to that. Coming into the game... He was two and one in Super Bowls, with the one loss, of course, coming against Tom Brady, which is gonna come up as as part of this discussion. But he's only 27, 28 years old, already has two Super Bowl rings. After this game, he now has three Super Bowl rings. So he leaves the tier of Aaron Rodgers, who has one, Drew Brees, who has one, Peyton Manning that has, I guess, two, Eli Manning that has two. A, A lot of guys have two Super Bowls, and he joins the the next tier of guys with three or more, so Brady, Troy Aikman, Terry Bradshaw, and I think it's it's obvious that or Joe Montana who has four, um, but it's it's painfully obvious that he's better than all of those guys. You can still make an argument for Joe Montana, but he's basically in that upper upper echelon, you know, the top of the pyramid with with Brady and, and Joe Montana as the goats, right? And I want to talk about how some folks are starting to get a little presumptuous, right? They're talking about Patrick Mahomes has already surpassed Tom Brady. He's already the GOAT. He's already better than Tom Brady ever was, which I think is kind of absurd at this point, right? There's a lot of recency bias for that, and I want to talk about a couple things, but before we, we dive into the, the full you know, recency bias of this, but Patrick Mahomes has been incredible in the playoffs, right? He has a career passer rating in the playoffs of 105.8 with 5,135 yards, 41 touchdowns and only 8 interceptions in 18 games in the playoffs. He also has 90 rushing attempts for 524 yards and five touchdowns. Tom Brady had a career passer rating of 89.8 with <laughs> this is insane. 13,400 yards, 88 touchdowns, and 40 interceptions in 48 games in the playoffs in his career. So he definitely was turning the ball over at a higher rate than uh, Patrick Mahomes, but we'll see what happens if Patrick Mahomes gets to 50 playoff games, if he ever gets to 50 playoff games. He also has 114 rushing attempts for only 133 yards and seven touchdowns. And part of that, that higher touchdown number that very low yardage numbers. Brady, of course, was not the kind of guy that was going to kill you with his legs. The quarterback sneaks that he had—this was before the Tush Bush, before the Tush Bush was allowed—because you know beforehand, before a few years ago, you couldn't push a quarterback from behind. The quarterback had to do the sneak all on his own. And Tom Brady used all of his six-four, six-five frame to be incredible at these quarterback sneaks. They were downright unstoppable. But when I thought about the two guys in the two signature plays that they had, I guess you could say. With, with Mahomes, the signature play, I think, for the majority of his highlights is is one where he uses his underrated, I guess, athleticism to escape the pocket, to shake off pressure. He's going to run around for a bit. And in the past, it used to be, I'm going to find Tyreek Hill 40 yards downfield or Nicole Hardman or Demarcus Robinson, one of those guys. These days, it's more of, I'm gonna take off and I'm going to run for ten, fifteen, twenty, thirty yards, or you know, on fourth and short, I'm gonna fake a handoff and and run for for ten, fifteen yards to um, extend a play and, and and win a Super Bowl. And with Tom Brady, other than the QB sneak, I don't know if if he had a signature play that you're like, oh man, you know that that's that's what Brady does. I guess. The one thing is, instead of escaping the pocket, he was going to navigate the pocket, probably the best of all time to do this, navigate the pocket, escape pressure, while well, not breaking the pocket, but shake guys off, do his thing, and then find Julian Edelman or Gronk or Amendola or Wes Welker, one of those guys, five, ten yards down the field to extend a drive. And I think with Brady... He was more of the death by a thousand cuts type guy. You know, every once in a while, you know, when he had Randy Moss, of course, he was big time deep threat. When he had Gronk, he would find Gronk up the seam for, you know, 15, 20, 25, 30 yards, whatever. But it, usually he operated that West Coast offense where he was just able to extend plays just a little bit longer than, than you would think by shaking off that pressure, by stepping up in the pocket, by having probably the best positional situational awareness of any quarterback ever. and just. Chipping away at your offense or your defense until you just begged for mercy. And with Mahomes, I think he's starting to get a little bit of that, which I think is a lot more sustainable than the run around for 10 seconds and find a guy 40 yards downfield. And I think that's what's what's really scary about Mahomes is that this year he's taking on more of that Brady. I'm going to take what you give me, but I'm going to be so good that. I'm just going to extend these plays. I'm going to take what you give me, even when you don't want to give it to me. (laughs) So there's a stat also that I saw this uh, after the the Super Bowl, where it said in drives in the postseason, where it was at least the fourth quarter or overtime, so obviously late in the game, with under a minute to play, and the team on offense trailed by seven points or fewer at the start of this scenario. So not even a two-minute drill. We're talking about a one-minute drill, or I guess a two-minute drill. That leads into a one-minute drill. The best quarterbacks are, you know, around 40 45% at this, right? Tom Brady was 5 for 11 in these scenarios, so just a little over 40%. Drew Brees, 3 for 6, so, you know, 50%, but a smaller sample size. Patrick Mahomes, in his young NFL career, is already 7 for 7. So if you think about it, even just just this year in the playoffs, he did it twice against the Niners, right? Came down in in, in regulation, tied the game up at 19, and then in overtime, trailing again by three points and took the lead and won the Super Bowl. Last year, did it in the Eagles, uh, in the the Super Bowl against the Eagles, had a game-winning drive. Did it against the Bills in overtime in that famous 13 seconds game. You know, I'm not going to go through all seven of these scenarios, but there was always this fear with Brady that if he got the ball, either tied or down, you know, one possession game, and there was two minutes left, whatever, three timeouts, one timeout, no timeouts, whatever, there was always the fear, assumption, belief, whatever, that he was going to get it done. And for the most part, he did. You know, there was a couple probably in the Super Bowls against well against the Eagles he didn't do it in the two Super Bowls against the Giants obviously he didn't do it even though it was a one possession game but he usually delivered and that same fear that same assumption that no matter what situation if it's a one possession game and Mahomes has the ball last he's going to win or tie the game and we've seen like a, like we said 7 for 7 in those exact scenarios so while i think the baton has been passed to, to Mahomes as the best quarterback in the NFL, obviously the next GOAT, I think it's still going to take a few more Super Bowls for Mahomes to catch him. You can use subjective stuff and say, you know, I think he's the most skilled quarterback I've ever seen play the game. Sure, whatever. That That's fine. I, I won't take that away from you. But I don't think we can forget the absurd numbers that Brady put up, the consistency, the longevity—the guy didn't have a prime. His whole career after you know year three, year two basically was his prime. He had a 20-year prime, which is absurd and unheard of in the NFL, unless you're like a left tackle or a punter or a <laughs> kicker or something. But you know, Mahomes has three Super Bowls. Assuming all things you know keep going well, he stays healthy. Um, his team stays competitive. He's got a great organization, great coach. Andy Reid is only 65, which we'll, we'll talk about him next. But assuming all that, then sure, you can say that Mahomes is going to be the GOAT. But right now, he's not. And that's okay. He's next up. You can throw him in again in that category with, with Tom Brady and Joe Montana. And that's fine with me. The next guy I want to talk about is Andy Reid. So obviously, he is a three time Super Bowl winning coach, and what what's funny about him is um, and we're we'll talk about this a little bit later is that he really used to be considered a choke artist, and, you know, with the Eagles, three straight NFC championships. He makes a Super Bowl once against the Patriots and Tom Brady, and doesn't come out on top, right? So he used to be considered the offensive genius that could not get it done in the big game. And if that sounds familiar with with another guy we're going to talk about. Um, you know, <laughs> you know, you see where I'm going with this, right? But now, now that it, it, I should actually say that even with the Chiefs before Mahomes, he was also considered a bit of a choke artist, right? They would win the division. He'd have number one seed, number two seed, and then they would lose to, I don't know, Marcus Mariota and the Titans at home. They would lose to Andrew Luck and the Chiefs or in uh, the Colts. So there was a lot of times where he had this incredible offense, a good team. And they just could not get the job done. And now, because he has Mahomes, he now has one of the best resumes in, in NFL history as a coach. He's third all-time in wins, I believe. 44 behind Bill Belichick, who's going to be taking a year off next year, it seems like, as a head coach. He's only 65. If he coaches another five years, I don't know, they win 10, 11 games a year. You, you do the math there. It's, it's pretty easy to see that at some point, if he stays with Mahomes and they play another five, seven years together, then he's going to be the winningest head coach in NFL history. He's definitely going to have a lot of chances to win more, more Super Bowls. He's now you know, alongside Bill Walsh and Joe Gibbs, who have three Super Bowls each. And only Chuck Knoll has four ahead of him. And of course, Bill Belichick has six. So he's not the GOAT just yet. But just like Mahomes, if he keeps doing what he's doing, Assuming a lot of things, then eventually he might be the GOAT. So, this game was, I don't want to say crucial to his legacy because I think his legacy was already pretty set as one of the best offensive minds in, in NFL history, that is one of the best coaches in NFL history. But if he keeps, if he uses this as a jumping off point and keeps building, then eventually he will be the GOAT. The next guy is Travis Kelsey. I think there's a similar theme with a lot of these guys on the the Chiefs is that you know they are, because of recency bias, being considered as the greatest of all time, at their positions, at their, uh, you know, as, as head coaches. And of course, with his third Super Bowl ring, Travis Kelsey is being compared to Rob Gronkowski, and people are talking about him being better than Gronk and the best tight end of all time, and just for comparison sake, Travis Kelsey has 165 catches for 1,900 yards and 19 touchdowns in 22 games in the playoffs. Rob Gronkowski has 98 catches for 1,389 yards and 15 touchdowns in 22 games. So Kelsey has a lot more catches because he usually operated as uh, Mahomes' number one target of course, because of that, he's going to have a lot more yards. But the touchdowns is, is interesting, right? 19 touchdowns versus 15. 19 touchdowns on six hundred sixty five catches versus 15 touchdowns on 98 catches. I think the, and the funny thing is they're about the same age. So I think the argument now between the two is, do we consider someone's peak a sign of them being the greatest of all time? Or is it peak plus longevity? Right. So I, I think the, the argument that, that's being made for Kelsey is that he's been really good, great for, for longer than Gronk ever was. To be fair to to, to Kelsey, he was already an all pro before Mahomes got there, so it's not like he's a product of Mahomes. We've never seen Gronk without Tom Brady, but I mean we don't need to talk about hypotheticals and all that. I think in general, you can make the argument, sure. Travis Kelsey is the greatest tight end of all time. You can make the comp comp or the argument that Gronk is the best tight end of all time. I see validity in both arguments. But I still think Gronk was, was better because of the blocking. So more, you know, operated more as a pure tight end. He was asked to do a little bit more. But he was also not always Brady's number one target. He was just the most dangerous. He had the most... Uh, You know, he's the most disruptive in the red zone because he's just a a freak of a a human being. (laughs) He could match up against anybody on defense and and win that matchup. But I think, again, at 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 his peak, I would give the edge to Gronkowski, but sure, Kelsey. Greatest tight end of all time. Why not? Probably win another Super Bowl. He'll catch up to, to Gronk. They'll have four apiece, and he just has the numbers to back it up. The last player on the Chiefs I want to talk about is Chris Jones. So he's a guy who I thought was, for some reason, I thought he was in his mid-30s. He's only 29. And he's become Kansas City's closer. So just the same way that Mahomes is almost guaranteed to win games when given the ball. Chris Jones is the same type of guy on defense where he's almost guaranteed to make a game-winning play to seal a game, to close a game. Right? We saw him do it against Joe Burrow last season. On that uh, final drive, we saw him do it against Josh Allen. Again, same thing on that, that final drive, which forced um, Buffalo to settle for a field goal, that, which they missed. And of course, this year, against Brock Purdy and the Niners, he comes in unblocked, makes the Niners settle for, settle for a field goal in overtime when they should have tried to score a touchdown, obviously. And I think if he stays at this pace, if he plays at this level with the Chiefs, with this great team around him, I think he has a chance, not just a chance, it's almost guaranteed that he's gonna become one of these pantheon defensive players, right? The guys that you name just kind of roll off your tongue. Those the the Lawrence Taylors, the Reggie Whites, the the Julius Peppers, the all these guys, the Ray Lewis's that just are not just game changers, to use Cam Newton's words, but they're game breakers because they're again on the defensive side and they can completely break your offensive game plan. They can completely overwhelm you and just win games not quite single handedly, but almost single handedly. So, last guy on the Chiefs here I want to talk about is an assistant coach, and that's, that's Steve Spagnolo, right? Usually, assistants in, in the NFL don't get much love. It's, it's quite rare for an assistant coach to make the Hall of Fame. I think Dick LeBeau from the Steelers is is one of the few that's in the Hall of Fame. But, you know, you can think about other great defensive coordinators in the history of the game. Bill Belichick was one before he became a head coach. Rod Marinelli, incredible defense coordinator, terrible head coach. Wade Phillips, same thing. Monty Kiffin, I don't think he ever became a head coach. But basically, these are guys that redefined that coordinator position and clearly became key pieces to dynasties, to Super Bowl rings, whatever. You know, if it's just one, it could be two, three, whatever it is. But now if you look at Steve Spagnuolo's resume, his head coaching one aside because he just was a terrible head coach. He went 10-38 and 38 in three seasons with the then St. Louis Rams, just not, not a good head coach, which is fine. But now he has three Super Bowl rings including one where he shut down possibly the greatest offense in NFL history in the 2007 Patriots. That was the 17-0 and 0 season. That was Brady and um, Randy Moss and Wes Welker and Dante Stallworth and just an incredible, incredible offense that he shut down to 14 points. He held them to 14 points in the Super Bowl. This year, he builds probably the best defense in Chiefs history, one of the best defenses in NFL history, they have a record of holding teams under 25 points. like The most, I think, in in the modern era, something crazy like that among Super Bowl winners, right? And it was just completely unexpected coming into the season. I think we expect the Chiefs to just be high-powered offense and do their thing and for Mahomes to carry them, but this was a defense that carried Mahomes these playoffs. The, The Chiefs didn't score an offensive touchdown for, what, it was seven quarters, something crazy like that? and. Now, because they you know, kept, them, kept the team around, they shut down the Niners' offense, they shut down the Ravens' offense, the Bills' offense, they were able to keep Mahomes in the offense in the game long enough for them to finally break through. And this guy, Steve Spagnolo, automatically, as a result of this win, joins that incredible Pantheon upper echelon level. Of assistant coaches, and I don't know if he ever wants to be a head coach again. Why be a head coach and deal with all the bullshit that head coaches have to deal with and the personalities and the you know calling timeouts and challenges and all that? Just be a mad scientist, man. <laughs> Just focus on the defense, be a mad scientist. Shut down an incredible offense, you know, like you did against the again, the Ravens, the the Niners, the Bills, all that. Just do what you do, do what you do best. So He's probably a Hall of Famer if he's not already, but this one sealed it for him. So now that we've covered the Chiefs and and the winners of the Super Bowl, I want to talk about the losers of the Super Bowl and the impact that this game, this loss, had on their legacies. First up is Kyle Shanahan. So we talked early on about Andy Reid being this offensive genius that was a bit of a choke artist, quote unquote, couldn't win the big one. All that. And now that title has been passed down to Kyle Shanahan. He has three prominent chokes on his resume, you can call them. Super Bowl against the Patriots, a famous 28-3. They blow that lead. He's he's not the head coach, but he's the offensive play caller. A lot of second guessing about that game plan, about not wanting to run the ball, about not being able to take advantage of big plays and closing out the game. All that stuff, we can nitpick that forever. But he has that one on his resume. He's up 10 against Mahomes and the Chiefs in the previous Super Bowl down in Miami. Wasn't able to close it out. This Super Bowl, sure, they were up 10-0, but that's the first half. You can't really hold that against him. But the fact that they had many, many chances to close the door on Mahomes, and he just couldn't get it done. They had the interception in the third quarter, couldn't Couldn't score, couldn't take a bigger lead. He had a few opportunities, obviously in overtime in the fourth quarter, to close out the game. Maybe that's more on Brock Purdy than, than on Kyle Shanahan. There's a lot of people that were second-guessing his play calling in the third quarter, where he seemed to abandon the run for three straight possessions, where they go three and out three straight times and then allow the, the Chiefs to get back in the game. Of course, that's a lot of second-guessing when we're talking about hindsight and all that, but it, it's a question that needs to be asked, is, is why did he abandon the run game? Why didn't he trust his running game, His, his the best player on his offense, in, in Christian McCaffrey more? All that stuff. Whatever it is, there's a lot of things that you can point to and say, you know, what happened, what went wrong with the Niners. And then you know fairly or unfairly that's going to be laid at the feet of the head coach who already has this reputation the big thing that a lot of people talked about was the decision that he made in overtime to take the ball first with the new rules both teams would get a chance to score his his reasoning after the game was that we wanted to get the ball third assuming that you know we scored a touchdown the chiefs scored a touchdown or we kick a field goal the chiefs kick a field goal and then we would get the ball third and have a chance for basically a sudden death victory what I think he did not account for was that the Chiefs said after the game was that if they caught the ball first and they were very excited about the Niners getting the ball first, that if, if the Niners scored a touchdown and the Chiefs were able to match it with a touchdown, then you know they would go for two, basically, and try to win it right then and there. I don't think it was necessarily the wrong call. I think a lot of people are making kind of results-based analysis about that and getting upset. That, oh, you know, Shanahan should have, should have taken the ball second. It's obvious. It's not obvious, right? There's arguments on both sides of it. His defense had just given up a long drive to the Chiefs to tie the game. So maybe he wanted to give them a rest, whatever it is. He doesn't deserve the blame for that. Maybe he deserves the blame for a couple other decisions where he's not running the ball on, on third and short so he could run it again on fourth and short, whatever it is. There's some other things that he could have done right or wrong. but unfortunately, just couldn't get it done. And now he carries that choke artist label, whatever you want to call it. And he's going to carry that until he wins the Super Bowl. He's won plenty of big games. NFC championships, obviously two big-time playoff games. And they just, for whatever reason, just had some bad luck in the Super Bowl, made some bad decisions here and there. And I think what's what's really going to put him over the top is when he finally gets a quarterback like Mahomes. Because Andy Reid, he had some good quarterbacks, some decent quarterbacks. Donovan McNabb was a you know good good player, not a great player. He had Alex Smith, same thing. Good player. Get you the number one seed, get you a division title, but won't win you a Super Bowl. And now that he has Mahomes, he's the GOAT. Or <laughs> he's competing to be the GOAT. So Shanahan, you know, all credit to Purdy. We'll talk about him next. Maybe he becomes that guy, but he's not Mahomes yet. And Shanahan will not be able to shake this label until he gets his Mahomes. Next up is Brock Purdy. This guy has been a lightning rod of controversy, which is completely unfair because he didn't ask for any of this. Uh, He never came back and, you know, never, never came out and said, I'm the MVP. I'm the best player on the team. He's a very quiet kind of unassuming guy who's just taken a lot of criticism because he's become again this lightning rod of criticism of you know cam newton calling him a game game manager versus a game changer and then all these players saying all these people saying no he's actually the mvp he's the reason the niners are winning when the truth is somewhere in between right yeah he's he makes some good plays he made some good plays in the super bowl uh but he also had six or seven all pros on on the team or on his offense so Again, the truth is somewhere in the middle where obviously the Niners are not as good with Purdy as they would have been with Mahomes, but they also would not have been the same with, I don't know, Sam Darnold or somebody else. I think it's it's unfair to try to put too, give him too much credit or too much blame. And in this Super Bowl, he played well, didn't turn the ball over, he got hit 10, 11 times by a pretty fierce Chiefs defense, but for whatever reason, he couldn't extend plays like he did against Detroit. Maybe the Chiefs defense is just that much faster, but he couldn't you know, run and get first downs the way he did. He tried a couple times, but he just couldn't make that same difference against a much better defense. And when it comes down to it, I think what Cam Newton was talking about was with his whole game manager, game changer thing was that when it's nut crunch time, right? When it's got to have it time, Are you the guy that's going to deliver touchdowns or are you going to deliver field goals? And I think against bad defenses like the Packers and the Lions, he was able to do that. And obviously they won both of those games because of touchdown drives that he helped engineer. But against the Chiefs and a great defense, they settled for field goals in in the fourth quarter and in overtime. So, sure, to me, he's still a game manager and that's fine. He's a second year player. You would think he's only going to continue to get better. And the best part about it, all this, is that he's only due about a million dollars a year for the next two years. So they'll be able to have plenty of money to build around him. And they talk about having a quarterback that's making, you know, a very small amount of money is the biggest cheat code in the NFL because you can build an incredible roster around him for, for cheap, basically. And that's what they're going to continue to do. They're going to have some big decisions to make, but. They have a guy that got them to the Super Bowl, made enough plays to get them to the Super Bowl, to get them within, I don't know, five, six yards, whatever it was, they were maybe a little more than that, of possibly winning the Super Bowl. And he's going to be the quarterback, I think, in in San Francisco for, for a long time. The next guys, you can kind of lump these two together. I guess lump the three of them together. I mean, Christian McCaffrey, just kind of an honorable mention. I don't think this game had any impact on his legacy. He's the best running back in the NFL right now. He's the best weapon in the NFL right now, and he was incredible in this game. He probably he got, I believe, thirty touches between rushes and 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 catches. So maybe he should have gotten forty. I don't know, but yeah, this game I don't think has a, a you know any negative impact on his legacy. He scored a touchdown, did everything he could have done to to win the game. But I think two guys that. We'll probably look back on this game with a little bit of regret are George Kittle and Debo Samuel. So this was obviously their second Super Bowl trip with the Niners. They were both okay in the first Super Bowl. Didn't make a huge impact. But in this game, they really had a bit of a dud for both of them, right? Kittle especially, I think he only had two catches. Only I mean, he did come up with a pretty clutch fourth down play that helped the Niners take the lead in the fourth to go up, you know, sixteen, thirteen. But He was pretty much bottled up and couldn't really make an impact for whatever reason. Maybe he was blocking more because of the pressure. I don't know how much of it was game plan. Obviously, I'm not in the room with the Niners making the game plan. And then, of course, the clip comes out where he's blocking George Karloftis and he makes a little joke and he misses the McCaffrey fumble. That's just, you know, his personality. I (laughs) I don't hold that against him. But Debo, Debo Samuel is another guy that... I think suffered a lot in this game. His his legacy. He's he talks a lot of shit. He's kind of the heart and soul of this Niners team with his bravado and his swagger. And we saw what they looked like without him this year. I mean, he it did coincide with Trent Williams, but they both both missed three games, and the Niners were on a three game losing streak during that time. So for him, this. Definitely hurts his legacy because obviously he's not able to add a Super Bowl to his ring or to his resume, but it also hurts him in the fact that, you know, he was hurt again in this game. He had that hamstring issue or something. He came back, but he was clearly not himself. He was not the same explosive, Debo, that we've seen time and time again. So I don't know what this does to him long term, but I think the Niners will possibly have a a decision to make of who they want to prioritize, him or Brandon Ayuk. And I think personally... I think Debo has the potential to be a game breaker, but I think his style of play is not sustainable. As we've seen, he's injury prone. I think just because of the level of physicality that he plays the game with. And I think the Niners I don't know if I'm saying they will, but I think they should prioritize Brandon Ayuk over Debo Samuel. But George Kittle, he's gonna be on the Niners for a while and he's you know one of the best tight ends of this era, but he hasn't elevated himself, obviously, because of the lack of rings and the performances that he's had in these Super Bowls, which have been so. So the next thing I want to talk about is not so much a player on the 49ers, but the Niners in general in this millennium, right? They started off the, the decade with Jeff Garcia as their quarterback. They went through some lean years with him and a number of very terrible quarterbacks, Tim Rittay, trying to think of some other names. I can't even think. Cody Pickett. You know, I lived in the Bay Area at the time, so I remember these guys, but they were just not very good, and that, that's fine. And then, of course, they have the Jim Harbaugh era with Alex Smith and Colin Kaepernick. That flames out after three, four years in a lost Super Bowl. And now we have the Kyle Shanahan era with two Super Bowl appearances, a number of NFC championship appearances, and they're just not able to win the big one, the, the big, big kahuna, the big Super Bowl. And I saw a stat today where they actually have the most playoff wins in the last decade, or the, sorry, the second most after the Chiefs, but they're the only ones without a Super Bowl ring. So I think the Chiefs have 13 playoff wins, the Niners have eight, the Rams have six or seven, the Eagles have, I don't know, five or six, seven, something like that. They're all, you know, in that bunch, but they've all been able to win a Super Bowl except the Niners, and they've really become the new Buffalo Bills. I mean, obviously they have the five Super Bowls, but they are the they're like the Buffalo Bills of the '90s, right? The four straight Super Bowls. It wasn't quite as heartbreaking as as the you know the Bills. They didn't they didn't lose four straight, but they've now lost three Super Bowls in this millennium, in this you know the last ten years, and they've all lost. They've lost all three in heartbreaking fashion, right? Against the Ravens with the, the Kaepernick, Frank Gore, Michael Crabtree era. They had the ball on the seven-yard line with two minutes and 37 seconds to go. Couldn't punch it in. The first Chiefs Super Bowl. They're up 10 points with 12 minutes to go in the game. Pick off Mahomes, but they can't extend their lead. And it's very possible that even a a field goal ends that game and they, and they, they lose to the Chiefs. And then, of course, Jimmy Garoppolo misses Emmanuel Sanders by a foot, maybe? on a deep shot. Maybe Brock Purdy makes that throw. <laughs> Maybe Sam Darnold makes that throw. But basically, they miss Manuel Sanders. They get sacked on the next play, and they lose that Super Bowl to the Chiefs. And then, of course, this Super Bowl. They're up seven in the third. Same thing. They pick off Mahomes early in the third quarter. Couldn't extend the lead. Three straight three and outs in the third quarter. Can't close out the game in regulation when they have that third and four in i think the 30 40 yard line something like that and then can't score a touchdown in overtime so they're getting to the cusp the i don't think i've ever seen somebody come this close to super bowl glory three times in a row like even the bills right they had the wide right the first time and then i think the next three they just got blown out because the nfc was just so much better than the AFC in that era but you know it's uh i don't know if heartbreaking is yeah i guess heartbreaking is the word for for 49ers fans for 49ers haters it's it's incredible theater it's great cinema but it just goes to show you that you know this is what one of the reasons why i do this this super bowl or this uh, podcast and not this specific one but our podcast in general is just the kind of coin flip what if you know hindsight being 4040 in sports all that stuff just because you can go to every one of these Super Bowls and you can literally pick out one play. Like If this play went the other way, the Niners win the Super Bowl against the Ravens. If Michael Crabtree you know, gets that, that, that P.I. call and they get it down to the one-yard line, they just hand it off to, to Frank Gore or Colin Kaepernick and they win the game. If Emmanuel Sanders makes that catch, they probably win. I mean, Mahomes would have got the ball back with a minute and a half left or something, but you know, you, you trust your defense at that point. And then again, in the in the third quarter, or or sorry, in this third Super Bowl, if they get that third and four, they're able to bleed the clock, kick a field goal as time expires and win the Super Bowl. So literally one play in each of these games, and that's that's kind of the beauty and the pain of of sports and and NFL playoffs and big time games. So I think the question, you know, just to wrap up is what's next? What's next for both of these teams? For the Niners, I think they have a lot of big decisions to make when it comes to uh, their contracts. You know, Brandon Ayuk seemed pretty upset after the Super Bowl. He might want to leave. Trent Williams is 37 now, I think. Maybe he wants to retire. Brock Purdy, as I said, they're, he's under contract for $2 million over the next two, three years, whatever, something crazy like that. But the question is, is he going to continue to progress? Is he able to hold up physically because he's a smaller quarterback? I think in general, will this team be able to hold up physically? They got a lot of great injury luck. They missed, you know, Trent and uh, and Debo for three games this year, but everybody else was healthy. Purdy missed, I think, one game, and so he was healthy. Christian McCaffrey, who was notorious for being kind of fragile, was was fully healthy this year. George Kittle, most of these guys. So the question is, did they miss their best chance? Was this their best chance of winning a Super Bowl, considering all the contract stuff and everything they have to 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 figure out? But Right now, looking at the NFC, they're still the favorites. They're the favorites to win the Super Bowl next year, according to Las Vegas, so I wouldn't count them out. Obviously, Kansas City, what's next for them? The sky's the limit. They have $22 million in cap space as of today. Go get some weapons from Mahomes. Go draft some guys. They had probably the worst receiver group in the NFL. Still won a Super Bowl. They still have to pay Chris Jones, which is definitely going to impact things, but You know, he said drunkenly at the parade that he wants to come back so we'll see they have to bring back Legereus Sneed so they have some decisions to make but you know if you have Patrick Mahomes you have Andy Reid you have Travis Kelsey for now nothing's going to change they're just going to keep cooking so I think it's fascinating uh, after each of these games I know we kind of tend to look at legacies especially in the social media era as like a game to game thing but that's kind of crazy right it's 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 just gives us something to talk about oh you know patrick Mahomes had a bad game against the raiders he threw two pick sixes or whatever oh he's terrible he's you know maybe this is the year that they don't even get out of the first round and then they win the super bowl then you know the niners they're riding high they beat the hell out of the eagles the cowboys oh they're the best team in the nfl brock purdy is the mvp blah blah then they get smacked by the ravens and he loses that mvp race and you know, they're doubted against the Lions. They're still the favorites. I think they were seven-point favorites against the Packers and the Lions. But you know, they have their moments where they're almost, you know, cut down by these uh underdog teams, and then they come into the to the Super Bowl favored by two, two and a half points, whatever it is, and then they end up falling short because of a few plays here and there. So legacies game to game, absurd. Don't do it. <laughs> I get it. You want to talk about something? Sure. But legacies in the Super Bowl. These are the legacy-defining moments for coaches and players and and everyone involved. And, you know, we've seen that one Super Bowl ring can change uh, uh, what everyone thinks of a player, especially quarterbacks and coaches. It really changes things almost forever for these guys. And, you know, I think for the Kyle Shanahan era to be truly validated, they will need that Super Bowl ring. But I think it's still been a great success for the Niners despite the the issues they've had winning that quote-unquote big game. And then for Mahomes, like I said, this guy's the limit. Maybe he's the next GOAT, but he's he's on that corner. He's he's nipping at Tom Brady's heels and Joe Montana's heels, and he's right there. So thank you guys for listening to the episode. Thank you guys for checking us out. Please make sure to leave us a review wherever you're listening or watching this podcast. Make sure to subscribe as well. We have all kinds of great content across the different social media platforms at 4040 Vision Pod. So make sure to follow, like, you know, whatever you gotta do. Appreciate you guys. Thank you so much.